Hey guys, Montel here, and thanks so much for tuning in to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And I'm so excited to have the guest to have on the show today. I'm going to get to him in just a second, but I wanted to start off with something that just I just got and, and had an opportunity to review. I know a lot of you last week were kind of jumping up and down with joy when you heard the President of the United States make statements about the fact that he was going to, number one, expunge the records, or not expunge the records, but, but uh, pardon those who had been uh, criminally uh, convicted in federal court for a minor cannabis violation. Just so you understand, though, what he was saying was that minor possession, and that was only effective until that day. If you got arrested the next day for cannabis possession, you don't automatically get a get-out-of-jail card. As a matter of fact, they'll continue to arrest people and continue to start this process going. And number two, let's not forget that here's a president who said that we're going to ask for you know, the Justice Department to expeditiously look at and review the scheduling priorities of cannabis to see whether or not we can do something to change this, you know, the fact that, you know, no one should be in jail for cannabis. But this is something that this same president promised he was going to do during his campaign march. Didn't do anything for two years. And now a couple of weeks from midterms is saying, you know, I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to, well, I'm getting tired of hearing I'm going to, I want to hear I did. Now, supposedly he did sign the bill that now actually will pardon anyone who had been convicted at that point in time, but there was nobody sitting in prison. He's not going to do anything at all for the state laws. And, you know, truthfully, there is zero reason why this drug is still scheduled this way by the federal government, a government that owns its own patent on cannabis. This is really like an oxymoron here. We claim that it doesn't have any medical efficaciousness, but at the same time, the U.S. government patented it for its medical efficaciousness. Hmm. We need some smart thinking out here. But I guess what's going on around the nation is this was smart thing. It was I just got the article that says that now three out of five Americans back nationwide marijuana legislation. And, you know, it's very, very interesting when you look at the way this breaks down. This is a majority of Democrats, 71%, 61% of independents and people under the age of 65 said that they back cannabis legislation and a plurality of Republicans, 47% of them said the same thing. Now, depending on who does the poll, I've seen some polls as high as 93% of people saying that it should be made medically legal around the country. Um, we don't seem to want to break those numbers down because I think if you start saying, throwing out words like numbers like 90% above, people are going to go, well, why hasn't it been? So I like to play the smaller numbers. And there's some really interesting things that you, you pull out of this because this poll was done. Let me tell you who it was done by. This poll was a survey of voters. Uh, let's see. I'm sorry. I had it. Just disappeared. That's okay. This poll was done by a very, very reputable polling company, uh, the survey from Morning Consult and Politico. That's who did it. Found that 60% support for legalization adds to a growing body of polling data showing that Americans are really tired of this whole prohibition thing. And it's time for us to get on with it. Now, you know, when you break it down demographically, 
it's very interesting also demographically from a racial demographic standpoint. You know, one of the biggest groups that was always against legalization of cannabis was the African-American community. But it now finds that 71% of the African-American community believes that there should be prohibition lifted compared to 58% for uh, white uh, uh, Americans and 67% for Hispanics. Now, take a look at that. 6771. Why? Because people of color are more likely to be arrested in this nation when it comes to cannabis. Um, there's also some very interesting data when you take a look at, at how people place this as a priority for what they'd like to see Congress do. It's placed now, it says that, that you know, at 25% said legalization is an important but lower priority. 32% said that it's not too important of a priority whatsoever, and just 19% said that reform shouldn't be enacted. However, when you put it in context, more people in the United States would rather see this addressed than making priority of other legislative health care reform or making it a, a, a bigger priority for stimulating the economy, which is very interesting. So we are sitting at a time right now that, you know, the pendulum could swing, and I think it's going to be up to you making sure that you contact your local legislators. And, you know, I would say let's start bombarding the governors. The president made a challenge to them last week. He said, you know, and I call on my other my governors around the country to enact the same type of relief for state cannabis violations. So why don't we start writing governors? That's what should start happening. I think we should start inundating them, calling them on the phone, making their days a hard day. Every conversation they pick up the phone, yeah, I want to talk to you about cannabis, click. I want to talk to you about cannabis, click. You know, make them understand that this is something that it doesn't matter which side of the fence you're on, Republican, Democrat. Let's remember, you know, when, uh, you know, uh, there are people who call themselves patriots who stormed the Capitol, a lot of them went storming in the Capitol, blowing a blunt. There was plenty of cannabis being smoked uh, during the January 6th debacle. And so I think if we want to say, just like if we go back 100 years or more, the only thing the North and the South had in common was hemp because both sides clothed their fighters in hemp uniforms. Let's go all the way back to the Revolutionary War. The entire Revolutionary Army was clothed in hemp. So this is something that's been a part of the American fabric since day one. It's been a part of humankind since the dawn of written information about medicine. And it's time right now that I think, you know, we just start to catch up, but we understand, you know, why this hasn't happened. And for those of you who don't think you know why you need to just think about pharma, big pharma. This is something that they do not want to have happen. They will fight this until they get their little tentacles in it and try to claim that they have a more efficacious model using some sort of, you know, uh, replicated, you know, molecular structure or some synthetic thing rather than the real plant. They don't want this. Why? Because there's not the margin in it for them. You know, take a look at what they've already done with Marinol and, you know, Tassabri. You know, uh, uh, you look at some of the, 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 the medications that they claim to be making from plant-based synthetics, 
you know, the charges are $1,000 and more for a one-month prescription. Come on, man. This is really ridiculous. So it's time for us, all of those, you, all of you out there that enjoy this podcast or any other podcast when it comes to cannabis, let's get busy making it a little hard on our politicians and making them understand that we want them to get busy and make some legislative changes. Now today, well, let's be blunt, I, I'm so excited because my guest today is a lifelong cannabis enthusiast. He's been he's the author of the book Making Cannabis Personal, a guide on how genetics interact with cannabinoids to create truly unique experiences. He's also the host of Everything is Personal podcast. He's the co-founder and CEO of Endocana, a company that is committed to helping everyday people find the right cannabis product for their needs. Mr. Len May, thank you so much, sir, for being a part of the show today. Oh, thank you, Montel. I appreciate it. Absolutely, sir. Yeah. You know, uh, here, before we jump in, I, I got some questions to ask you about your background and stuff. But, right. you know, very, very interesting. Uh, I got a report. I got another news article today that I found disturbing. But at the same time, I'm going to use the term interesting. When when a person passes, it's it's the term interesting is probably the wrong term for me to use. But, you know, recently a worker in Massachusetts at a cannabis producer's facility died and they are claiming that they died from inhaling cannabis dust. I'm I just I'm, I just wonder what you think articles like this are going to do in sending a ripple effect across the business in a sense because truthfully this would be the first reported death from mm-hmm. cannabis I think in the history of mankind. Yeah, I mean it's it's the same thing as the vape gate started, you know. Oh, people are dying from these uh, vapes and we found out that there were black market products that are all kinds of different substances in there. So, I mean, for me, this is another reason why the government has to get involved and create some regulations around what we're producing. If this is truly medicine, so let's treat it as medicine. Let's test it correctly and let's standardize it so it's uh, the same all over the country. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you want to know how to become a social media influencer, how to grow an online business, how to make money from your laptop and build a profitable online company? Well, I'm going to show you how in my podcast, Living the Red Life. I built a million-dollar company at the age of 25, a $10 million company at the age of 30, and now I'm the A-list celebrity marketer that speaks around the world on how to transform businesses and make them profitable using Facebook ads, marketing, social media. My name's Rudy Moore, and I'm super pumped to bring you my podcast, Living the Red Life. I know this is going to become your new favorite podcast, and I'm going to show you how to grow a profitable online company step-by-step every single week. And that's something that I think is is not only an issue for the government, but I think it's an issue for this industry. I mean, I think we're the ones who do ourselves a disjustice um, uh, because, you know, there's uh, everyone has been so busy trying to, you know, ink out their own little fiefdom and make their, you know, billions of dollars. And they don't recognize that unless, I mean, you take a look at an industry that last year was one of the fastest growing verticals created more jobs than any other vertical in America, you know, sold $25 billion worth of legal product and probably another $70 in the black and gray market. And though we are taxed beyond belief, $25 billion could go a long way in lobbying to make sure that we can get the things done that need to be done to make this a more efficacious industry. 
yet our businesses won't come together for even five minutes. We'll come together for all these B2B conferences and try to sell each other a new widget or a new gadget, but we don't come together to try to move the industry forward. And so when you say that, you know, we need to standardize, this is something that this industry needs to take responsibility for and start doing. Yeah, 100% agreed. Uh, we as an industry need to do that. We as a testing industry need to do that. And we need to look at this as truly a med medicinal product. So looking at what works for people personally and then being able to convey and doing studies and being able to compete. You mentioned pharma uh, earlier in the, in your conversation, and it's exactly it. It's being able to treat these products specifically as uh, sort of, in my opinion, as a... Uh, dual approach. One of them is a supplement. We consume supplements every single day. When I, yeah. When I, when I go into my vitamin shop or my other, uh, I, I don't care if I go in, in in my LA shop or I go into a shop in Pennsylvania, they're all the same. I don't have to be concerned about it. But in cannabis, we do because everything is different and there is no standardization. So we as an industry, we have to rise up and do better. Absolutely. And unfortunately, in this industry, we have so many people who aren't really a part of the industry, never historically were a part of the industry, didn't believe in the industry. They're the ones who are writing the regulations. And it's really just absolutely buffoonery when you take a look at how things are done from state to state to state to state. I'm involved in the business myself, like yourself. And, yeah. you know, it's, 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 you know, you, you can put a product on the shelves in Massachusetts, but you can't put that same product on the shelves in Pennsylvania. And you can't put that price, say, even if you use only Pennsylvania providers, you might not be able to get the same product because you can't get the same genomes. It's really just, uh, just ridiculous. And it's going to, I think that's something that's got to change. And I don't know how the industry can force the change, but, I think more lobbying, more education at the governmental level, at the level of the people who are writing this legislature. I mean, I'm, I'm looking very closely right now at Georgia hmm. as an opportunity, but then Georgia's like on, on some other planet with the way their legislation is written. You, know, you, can, you can't have any smokable whatsoever. It's all got to be edible, uh, pill form, uh, can't be vaporable, uh, can't be higher than 5% THC by volume, but it has to have at least the same amount of CBD as if that's the only other cannabinoid of value. It's like, you know, we really have to get a grip, I think, and just try to standardize this. And until that happens, I think that gives the excuses to these independent legislators to, yeah. to write these draconian, stupid laws. Well, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, we have people that are creating these laws by, you know, percentages of THC and, and edible products that really don't understand the plant itself and the effects of the medicine of this plant. You're talking about edibles. Well, you know, we talked about this whole thing with milligram per kilogram weight, but it has really nothing to do with that. The effect that somebody will have is based on how they metabolize. So Correct. you can have, you know, you can be a bigger, uh, physically bigger person, but consume uh, less or the same amount as me, and you can have a completely different experience because of the way you metabolize a plant. And Absolutely, and also because of what you may have eaten earlier in the day or you ate last night before you consumed it this morning. It's it's they're really it's so individualized that I think that's where you know again in the last you know ten years there's been thirty five thousand peer reviewed started published documents mm -hmm. around the world on cannabis. The last year and a half alone, thirty five hundred plus. Um, we need to start doing a lot more research and, and we need to get the Fed off the top and the states off the, the idea that this is going to be their big gold rush and switch so taxes and taxes and taxes and taxes and make it impossible for them, the industry to even use any of the money that they are making for research. 
But let's hold on a second. Let me go back for a second. I want to make sure I can introduce you to my listener here at Let's Be Blunt with Montel. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and how you first became interested in cannabis? Yeah, I, be, I was, uh, I've been in the cannabis space for on and off for over 26 years, starting as a patient myself, uh, then a, as an activist. But uh, I, was, uh, I discovered cannabis on my own because I was diagnosed with uh, ADD when I was in my early teens. And I was putting all kinds of prescription medication. And uh, then I discovered hanging out with some older kids that by consuming cannabis, it helps to narrow all these windows that are open in my head. And it became medicine to me. I had no idea that it was medicine for anyone else. Until- slow, down, slow down just a second. Yeah, yeah. I really like that in your book when you kind of talk about the fact that, you know, the way ADD affects you, it's almost like having all the tabs and all of your, your 100% open yeah. at the same time. And what yeah, it's, a, it's exactly that. So when I got really into understanding what ADD is, basically, I'm born with a depletion of dopamine. So my brain is always trying to get that new squirt of dopamine. So I'm focusing, 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 and constantly, as you just said, all these windows are open in my head, just as in the, in the computer. And all my tabs, I have like 100 tabs open in my computer now because that's the way my brain works. But if you know how to manage this correctly, you can use it as your superpower. For me, at that point, you know, I would sit in class and the teacher would call on me, and I'm thinking about something else because the lesson that I'm getting is not stimulating. It's not really squirting dopamine uh, from my brain. So that's that's the challenge with ADD if you don't know how to utilize it properly. But by consuming cannabis and the medication I was taking, what that did, it basically did more. Well, it allowed me to focus, but what it didn't, what it did also, it took away any emotional feeling. So you walk around like a zombie. So you're not really connecting to people. And it wasn't really a, a very pleasant experience. I can't say that it didn't do its job. It allowed me to focus, but it wasn't, you know, there's a lot of side effects from those things. But when I met these kids, they asked me if I wanted to smoke a cigarette. So I'm like, yeah, I'm hanging out with the cool kids. I'll smoke a cigarette. I should have questioned why they only have one cigarette in the first place. So they pass around the cigarette and I, I took a drag of it and I inhaled, coughed a little bit and tasted weird. And they're laughing at me. And I took another one. And they're still laughing at me. So they actually took the cigarette and put, you know, cannabis in there. And when I went back to class, these windows that keep like uh, were open in my in my head, it'll, they narrowed, and I was able to focus. And I was like, wow, this is really interesting. And I didn't really say anything to anybody, but I got rid of all my prescription medication and started consuming cannabis. And this is many many years ago, so it wasn't easy to find. I'm from Philly, so I had to go down called down the way and get my cannabis and all that stuff. And uh, my parents kept catching me. And at some point they were like, oh, you know, they come from the old country and they didn't know any different. And this is one of the challenges when you schedule cannabis is schedule one. And my, my parents thought it was the same thing as, you know, smoking opium or whatever it is. They had no, no, in, uh, no reason to think there was any different than that because they never had a personal experience with that. And uh, so at one point they ended up, uh, kicking me out but before they kicked me out they actually called the cops on me and oh, tried wow. to get me arrested so i had two female officers that came in and they were like uh if it was my son and, and they were trying to you know give me this hassle and i was like sure, sure. I, i'm gonna get out of my own reconnaissance i mean i have a little bit of it's my personal you know amount of medicine for me so like if it was my son i would just kick him the curb and my they left they threw out everything that i have my like little pipes and everything and my dad's like yeah five minutes go upstairs so I packed a bag and my dad literally kicked me out the door and that was it. But the irony of it is my parents both consume 
you know, uh, med medication, other products that we develop for uh, different conditions, they both consume it now. And the funny thing is, uh, a few years back, an experience in Jamaica where I was able to, you know, smoke a joint with my dad in his seventies. So came back full circle. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. So, so, but now you, you, then that, that's what puts you on this journey. You yeah. got kicked out of the house. Were you still in school then or out of school at that time? So I just finished high school. I was just starting uh, college and I was basically homeless. I didn't know what to do, where, you know, how to earn a living. So I got it. I actually went into a record store. I was, uh, I'm a big music person. I w walked in my tower records and they had an opening for a cashier. So I became a cashier at Tower Records and eventually ended up being a music buyer. But that led me to an opportunity to go to a music festival because you get all these perks. You get paid $7 an hour, but you get all these perks. So I got to go to the music festival. It was called the Horde Music Festival, you know, like Ziggy Marley and the, the Black Crows. But there was a, a group of kids that a sign called the Cannabis Action Network. And I was like intrigued. So I came over and I said, what are you guys doing? I said, well, we're trying to legalize, you know, fight for legalization. But like, great, what are you doing? We're registering people to vote. So what else are you doing? We're registering people to vote. So I became the president of the Cannabis Action Network. And I held a rally, the first ever rally at Independence Hall in Philadelphia with the Constitution Declaration of Independence, by the way, all in hemp paper as well. And my keynote speaker was this woman named Elvie Masika. And Elvie was one of the first people to get federally prescribed cannabis. And you know, you, you probably and people know about that because that's that's the the then the program that I guess uh, Daddy Bush started uh, under his uh, term, which was a program that literally was started because it was a compassionate care program that got out of hand, and the federal government shut it down to like twenty five patients. Uh, I can't remember what year it was exactly. Was that the uh, was that 1991? No, it was in the early 90s. I think yeah, you're right. right. Yeah, and um, you know uh, they they were so inundated with people who wanted to register for this program. And what the program is is through the University of Mississippi. The University of Mississippi, even still till today, sends out once a month a canister of pre-rolled marijuana that is some of the funkiest marijuana on the planet. <laughs> and now, out of the 25 people that started the program, there's only four that still are alive. Yeah. And they receive it once a month and they get basically get a, a card that's a get out of jail free card that yeah. they've had for now over 40 years that allows them to consume cannabis at any in any federal location anywhere across the country. They can carry their cannabis with them on an airplane, off an airplane. Nobody can say a word about it. Um, if they're caught using it, they've they basically got to get a free get a get out of jail free card. Yeah, yeah, hit the nail on the head. Exactly that. It's and that what that's what she did. So she was my keynote speaker, and she opened up her jar. It's a metal uh, container, and yep. pulled out her pre-roll joint and smoked in front of federal rangers. And I was like, "This is the future." And this is back in 1993, I think. So it took yeah. a little bit of time. Yeah, Ellie was was I think probably she was uh, she got cannabis because of, of extreme glaucoma, correct? Yeah, she has degenerative glaucoma. So and that's. And this is, this is sort of where my aha moment happened. Uh, the next day, everybody uh, slept at my house, and we got woken up to a loud noise. I had the sculpture in my house, and I'll be happy to walk in and break it. And everybody got woken up, and she felt so bad, but she couldn't see it. She was completely blind. And this was my moment when she sat down and had to medicate, and she's like, and she could see again. Still wore her thick glasses and everything, but she could see again. And I was like, wait a second. So this works for my ADD, but it also works 
for her glaucoma, this is truly medicine. And I took a really, really deep dive into trying to educate myself on everything I could possibly do for the medicinal effects of, of cannabis. So at the same time, you are the president of this organization. Yeah. What were you doing for a living? What was your first professional career? What were you doing? So, so I was working in Tower Records, and then uh, I was a buyer for Tower Records, and Tower Records shut down. And then I was, uh, I was still, I had my music label, and my ex-wife uh, said, you have to get a real job. So I'm like, okay, I used to have, I know it's hard to believe, I used to have really long hair and earrings and I had to put my, I sent my resume out and I got a job at a company called Price Waterhouse. And this was, uh, you know, a big six consulting company. And uh, so I was started making money there, but this was never my passion. So from there, I went to work as in a venture capital company. Then I became a commercial real estate broker. And that whole journey led me, uh, my ex-wife was, was an actress and led me to move to LA. And I was sitting there. I wasn't sure. I still wanted to be in cannabis because I was like, this is the place that you need to get into cannabis in Los Angeles. But I didn't know how to do it. And, and I was sitting in a real estate office and these guys came in and they were talking to a realtor about opening an alternative pharmacy. And he's like, I don't really understand what these guys want. Talk to them. So I came over. I said, what are you guys looking to do? Oh, alternative pharmacy. He's like, what do you really want to do? They're like, well, when I open up a dispensary. So, okay, well, where's your paperwork? They had nothing. So I'm like, I'm going to help you guys because I was doing research I, under Prop 215 and SB 420. I'm clear this is how it works. So then uh, we opened up a uh, dispensary. I helped them get a, their first dispensary, and they offered me a partnership. And it was called Kush Kingdom, and we ended up opening five of them under the same umbrella, the, the exclusive home of corrupt Kush and Methamance Blackout OG. So – this is under Prop 215 and SB 420. We're operating everything uh, compliantly. And then I, I get a call from um, one of my managers in the Anaheim shop. And she's like, uh, the feds are here. What do I do? <laughs> I'm like, whatever, whatever they tell you to do. So one after the other, uh, we got a cease and desist order. And this is back in 2010 under Obama, the uh, prior to Cole memo, they try to shut down some of the prominent shops. And uh, the last shop that I had was in Santa Ana. And the person from the uh, Department of Justice walked over and he's like, let's go for a walk. So I'm like, okay. So he goes to me, uh, I have no problem with dope. My mom takes it for a cancer. If you shut down shop, 14 days cease and desist, we don't prosecute, nothing will happen. You just have to shut down. So we did. And to tell you, you know, frankly, that my passion is the therapeutic properties of the plant. So for me, I was always trying to see why two people come in, consume the same exact cultivar, and have a completely different experience. And this led me to this journey of, you know, my, my ADD is like, I can multitask, or when something stimulates me, I can hyper-focus on that. Mm -hmm. So I became super obsessed. I, saw, I found this video by a guy named Kevin McKernan. He was one of the first people genetically sequenced cannabis. And I pursued and pursued. And I said, yeah, Kevin's got 30 minutes. He'll be in San Francisco. I'm in LA. I got on a plane, flew to San Francisco, spent three hours with Kevin. And he said, come on board. The name of the company, he was the chief science officer of a company called Medicinal Genomics. And I came on board. And what my job was, and they taught me how to do all extract DNA from plants. I would travel around the US. I would get plant material from different growers bring it back to my lab, extract the DNA, and send it to a sequencer 
in uh, in Boston, Massachusetts, that actually we started the first genetic library of cultivars and chemical varieties called Canopedia, and we put it on the Bitcoin blockchain. But the thing is, their, their parent company was called Cordigen Life Sciences, and they were a pharmacogenomics company. And they did, you know, testing, genetic testing for cancer, epilepsy, autism. And they had a meeting with doctors at Harvard Medical that were treating kids with epilepsy using cannabis. And a lot of them were having great success going from 100 seizures to zero. This is during like the Charlotte's Web era was, was really big and the, the original uh, formulation. But some of the doctors were saying, you know what? It's not really working for our patients or some of the kids are outliers or the seizures are coming back. So when we looked at their genetic pattern, we started seeing that they had genotypes in common with a certain type of epilepsy, and we published on that. And, uh, you know, GW Pharmaceuticals happened to be Gervais syndrome, and GW Pharmaceuticals happened to pick up on that and start moving into epidiolics. But for me, this is my second aha moment. I was like, well, wait, we have cannabis genetics here. We have human genetics here. Why can't we use this as sort of a GPS unit to guide people to a personalized experience with their phytocannabinoid needs? And uh, they shut down the human side. So they said they want to focus on the plant. So we got, I had a chance to grab some really smart people and, and start Endocana Health in 2017. Uh, and explain what Endocana Health, Health was? Yeah. So the first six, seven months, all we did was research. We looked at every single gene that is direct or indirect association with the endocannabinoid system. Once we re, uh, established those genes and they had to have peer-reviewed references associated with them, uh, then we approached a company called Illumina to build our custom chip. So basically what we do is we use genetics to guide people, your own DNA, to guide people to a personalized experience. And the way it works is we have an endodna kit. It's a buccal swab, like a big Q-tip. You swab the inside of your cheek. You registered because we're HIPAA compliant, so all your information is de-identified, it's anonymized, and you ship it over to our lab. It'll take a few weeks, and then we can provide you a report in your portal on different symptomatic conditions like anxiety, cognitive function, pain, nausea, sleep, uh, mood, and what type of cannabinoid and terpene profile is more aligned to you. The other thing that we do is if you've already taken a 23andMe or an Ancestry or any other test that's similar to that, you can take your uh, profile, your, your data, and you can upload it to our site. We'll translate it in 30 seconds and give you a report. So basically what it does, it looks at symptomatic conditions, shows you a ratio of cannabinoids and terpenes that are more aligned to you individually looks at drug-to-drug interactions. So if you're taking any prescription medication or even supplementation, it'll show you how to adjust for those. It'll also look at your metabolic function on dosing based on what type of metabolism you are. And then we look at uh, certificates of analysis from different products, and we match that up based on a percentage of match for your, from your genetic predisposition. So we'll geofence that and show you where the products are more aligned to you, where you can locate those products. And the second part of that is a feedback loop mechanism. So we use patient reported outcome and also biometric feedback, like a wearable device to show you how changes in your biometrics, what's the efficacy of that formulation. And then you can meet with a care counselor once a month and we can help adjust that formulation until we hone in. In addition to that, we use um, machine learning so we can start getting better predictive inferences. So the idea is to have the largest observational study 
and truly a precision medical experience for individuals who are using cannabis as you know their therapeutic. But unfortunately, now across the country, though, you're not going to find the same genetics in the cannabinoids or yeah. in what's offered, and so you, they could end up making people be kind of cannabis refugees in a way, right? It's true. So we need to do a better job as a country as a whole to be able to have those products available. So things that are available in California may not be available in New Jersey, for instance. But at the very least, you'll know what your secret sauce is. So I'll give you an example. If uh, if I have uh, some sleep challenges, perhaps my profile will be something similar to one-to-one with myrcene and linalool as my primary and secondary terpene profile. So if I can go into a marketplace and see which products closest to me have those, but if there's not a lot of products available there, I can go into a dispensary and maybe ask, can you show me which products you have that are closest matching to this? Which ones are one-to-one? Which have dominant terpene profiles with myrcene and linalool? But yes, you're absolutely right. We have to do a better job. But on the 0.3% hemp-derived products that are have you know less than 0.3% THC, those products are readily available and can be shipped to most states uh, as well. And you know, we're starting to find out so much more. I mean, I guess one of the good things about you know some of the research that has now picked back up again since COVID. And during COVID, there was a lot of research being done, but I don't think it was. Um, uh, as voracious as it is now. I think people have really got back into it. They're trying their best to see if they can do as much research as they possibly can. We're starting to find out so, so well, you know, the numbers are, depending on what you read again, anywhere from 150 plus cannabinoids to 160 plus cannabinoids to, you know, we know the terpenes have existed for a long time. We've been identified in other plants, but now we're starting to like hone in and really understand the value of terpenes, uh, um, the, the, the flavonoids. And putting it together in a way that makes it a little bit more consumer friendly. But that's also the biggest, I think, one of the biggest challenges right now is that this industry does a really good job, again, of B2B selling products to each other. But it does a really piss poor job of selling products to the consumer. You know, yeah. we don't educate the consumer enough. We don't let them know enough about their endocannabinoid system. We don't let them know enough about the interaction of terpenes and cannabinoids. We don't even let them know that all the data that's being that's coming out recently on some of the new cannabinoids that not new but cannabinoids that we're starting to discover from you know the A, the V, the variants, and those kinds of things from THCV to THCA to CBD, CBC, you know CBG. We uh, and and though people go into dispensaries looking. Most of the dispensaries out here are still trying their best to sell somebody the highest THC-laden product yeah. that they can find, only because we as buttheads here in the United States tried our damnness to grow all the secondary cannabinoids out of the plant and just produce high THC plants. And so that's what we're trying to sell. And we got to get off of this. Yeah, no, you, yeah, absolutely correct. And it, so our system is dynamic. And what I mean by that is, fortunately or unfortunately, we made a decision that we have to have a peer-reviewed reference. So the only peer review references that are available so far are major cannabinoids. So some of these minor cannabinoids are going through uh, the process of, uh, of research. They're not there yet. When they become available to us, we'll add those to the, to the platform. But the idea is, is to be able to help people take the guesswork out. So when we met with the FDA, for instance, they asked, what is the purpose of your test? And we said to help mitigate an adverse event. 
And that's really what we're trying to do. It's it's about the more we can mitigate these possible adverse events and people compare us to like, you know, the 23 me of weed and, and, you know, we're grateful for that, but we see ourselves more as a ways of cannabis. And the reason why that's important is when you do your genetic uh, profile and you're looking at your genetic predispositions, we're not just looking at cannabis, we're looking at your full endocannabinoid system. So things that you may be deficient in genetically, and things that you may consume that'll trigger that epigenetic expression that you're predisposed to. And if that's the case, you may have an adverse event. And if you have that, maybe you will not go back to cannabis or, and you'll tell other people, you know, stay away from, from cannabis because it doesn't, doesn't work for me because everything is an individual as a personalized experience. So we can guide people to helping them avoid those adverse events. They can have a much better experience with their own cannabis and then also tell other people. And, and that in parallel, we're also involved in research. So not only are we published already on PubMed for several things, but we're also involved in a phase two clinical trial at Harvard Medical with uh, Stacey Grubin and her team at McLean Hospital. And we're con- involved in another study at CU Boulder. So we're constantly looking to see what genetic predisposition somebody may have, what profile is more efficacious for them. And then from there, how do we create those products or how do we guide people to products that are more efficacious for them so they can avoid those possible side effects. Since your test is not giving any cannabinoids, are you able to sell your test all over the country? Statewide, doesn't matter. Yeah, we're a global company. So we sell all over the world. We just, uh, we have a a really large presence in Brazil now, which is a really interesting uh, country that's up and coming. Uh, They're legal for medicinal purposes. A doctor has to prescribe cannabis. They have very few doctors that know a lot about the endocannabinoid system. So they're so grateful to have a test that can guide their patients. Now that we recommend cannabis, now you can find out what to take, how much to take, and then they get their cannabis in a pharmacy. So it's actually, and then they have to see their doctor once a month to see how that's working for them. So yeah, we're a global company. We sell all over the world. And you know, I, to me, it seems as if that should be you know, on the front counter in every dispensary around the country. You walk in, you take the test first before you buy. Thank you. (laughs) That's our goal too. It should be in every counter and it should be at every doctor's office. Look, you know, when I first got my medical card in uh, 2009, I think, I went to a doctor. The doctor actually examined me, charged me $250 and gave me a card and said, hey, if if anything happens, I will be a witness or I'll go to court. The last time I got my medical card, it took 30 seconds. And by the time I'm done my conversation, the doctor's already, oh, I already emailed it to you. Well, this is, we have to treat this really as medicine. And fortunately or unfortunately, however it happened, this whole recreational adult use market came up. And that's what we're talking about, high THC. You go to Canada, it's the same thing. And people are buying for high THC, but it's really those minor cannabinoids. There's terpenes. They're more aligned to the individual. And healthcare professionals need to be more involved. And if they're not more involved and they're going to make a recommendation for cannabis, they should actually then make a recommendation for our test. And that way we can guide people to a personalized experience. Absolutely. Well, take 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 a minute to just explain. This is more for the consumer, yeah. but take a minute to explain to them why there is such variation in individual responses for different forms of cannabis and delivery systems. Yeah, I mean, it's so I'll give you a real example of uh, just recently we had we had a situation. So there's a gene called FA. 
fatty acid amide hydrolase, FAAH. That gene is responsible for producing an enzyme that actually breaks down anandamide. Anandamide is our bliss hormone. It's uh, the right. word anandamide is bliss. It's one of our endogenous endocannabinoids. One of the two, yeah, one of yeah, the exactly. Two AG and, and anandamide. So what happens is, well, let's say, <clears throat> let's say you're walking down the street and a car comes out and almost hits you, and you have a stressful response. So what happens when you have a stressful response? There is some adrenaline that's pumped in your bloodstream, some dopamine, some norepinephrine, some cortisol. Then when you realize there's no lion chasing in the jungle your brain and your body does two things. It does a reuptake of those neurochemicals and it releases other neurochemicals to get you back to balance homeostasis. One of them happens to be an andamide. But if you have what's called a homozygous allele combination, not to get too sciencey, but these alleles are the way that our DNA communicates to us. There are four letters, a C, a T, an A, and a G. The combination of those letters are our genotype. And the reason why this is important, because 99.9% .9 of us are identical, is a 0.1% that makes all the difference in the world. So a person that has this, uh, this profile on their uh, FA, they produce less anandamide than the average person. So that cortisol level can stay longer in your bloodstream because you're not producing enough anandamide. And if that happens over time, it can reduce your pH level, make you more acidic. And your immune system can over-respond to that. So you can walk around with inflammation. Usually it starts in your joints, ankles, knees, hips, et cetera. And then if you have predisposition to gut health issues, it can start moving into your gut health. Uh, so IBD, et cetera. However, if you take THC, the decarboxylated form of THC, it'll bind to your CB1 receptor and it'll release more anandamide. So you can subsidize. Now, here's the trick. If you take a little bit too much THC, and you have a predisposition of stress reactivity, it can do the opposite. It can actually trigger, turn on the switch for stress reactivity and make that person feel more anxious. And because there's three different predispositions, stress reactivity, also PTSD, and maybe slow rate of fear extinction, this person can have a pretty intense experience of anxiety and stress. And if we know this in advance, we can mitigate that. How do we mitigate that? Well, by providing them a profile that actually has some CBD in it as well. So maybe more of a balance or maybe more CBD and then change the terpene profile to things like linalool that has been shown in the studies to have a lessen the anxiety that may be provoked by THC and maybe beta-caryophyllin that actually has a binding affinity to CB2 receptors, which actually help to reduce inflammation. So this is where somebody can use this as a guide to say, hey, I, I've talked to so many people, oh, I, you know, cannabis is not for me. It makes me paranoid. It makes me anxious. Well, what do you consume? Well, I don't know. Well, first of all, you should know what you're putting in your body. Second of all, if you can align that with a profile that's more specific to you, you can help avoid those adverse experiences. Absolutely. I, I produce a product that's now uh, been on the shelves in, in Massachusetts for a few years, but I started doing this six years ago before a lot of people in the industry even got, got to it. I have been mixing and formulating CBD and THC at different ratios for different responses, along with proprietary terpenes mixed together. And I go through linalool, myrcene, beta-carolophylline. I have a little humulene in some. As a matter of fact, I'm just now getting ready to release my, my fourth product in Massachusetts, which is a one-to-one-to-one-to-one, which is a sleep formulation that is THC, CBD, uh, CBG and CBC all together in the same oil, along with proprietary terpenes to help 
lessen that anxious effect and actually re- make you relax a little bit more. So, I mean, this, this has been stuff that, that uh, you know, again, we do a great job of educating the industry on new gadgets and things, but we, you do a great job in educating the public, but we got to get that word out there. Yeah. Well, that's why I'm here. <laughs> You're helping get the word out there. And, say, and I commend you for doing that because this is this is the whole thing. I mean, now, even in California with recreational cannabis, I walked into a dispensary. There's a, a person I know who's writing a book and they have they have an anxiety disorder, like a serious anxiety disorder they were diagnosed with. And they're writing a book and they're actually, I'm going with them to dispensaries and they're telling their, their bartenders that they have this anxiety disorder. And I'm just a fly in the wall. I'm with them because I went through their genetic profile. And what they're being recommended is flour. And what kind of flour? How THC? So we have this, these gatekeepers that really need to be educated too on what to recommend. And there's and I asked them, do you have any um, you know, one-to-one products? He's like, yeah, there's a little shelf in the back. And he takes us there and, and shows me a product. I said, these are isolated molecules, just one-to-one. Do you have anything with terpenes? And he says to me, terpenes only work when they're com- combusted. And I, and and I, 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 Shata, you know what? I'd like to reach out. Like Shut up. I mean, you know, and that's, that's part of the problem, though, because we've got an industry that, you know, only got to a point of educating itself and stopped. And this whole idea that the higher the THC, the better is really ignorant. Um, and, you know, the fact that we are not customizing things and blending things to really eat, reach each individual's need is, I, I think, a detriment to the industry. Um, and I've been working really hard. If people wanted to get more information, where would they go? Tell me how you can get information about what you're yeah. doing. So our website is endodna, E-N-D-O-D-N-A.com. I'm Len May uh, on all social platforms. I speak everywhere. Actually, we we had a chance to meet at a cannabis science conference. You probably don't remember because uh, you were busy with it, but you uh, spoke there, and I spoke at the at the same event. Uh, we're also working with a bunch of different amazing partners like uh, We Decode, uh, Teresa Jackson, helping veterans, and uh, I think what they're doing is amazing. Going in and swabbing veterans that can't leave their home and uh, providing them, uh, you know, medicine that, that they really need. And this is this is our overall goal. I mean, one thing is we're trying to create the world's largest observational study but it really is to be able to guide people to this uh, personalized experience and to help to you know remove and get rid of prohibition. I think once that's done, the states will figure it out. There's some states that won't. The same thing as alcohol. We already have something that's that happened with alcohol prohibition. Once they removed alcohol prohibition, you know, states started creating these alliances. Pennsylvania said, no, we're going to control all of it as state stores and other ones. You can buy your alcohol in 7-Eleven. So it'll it'll depend on, on the states once they do that. But anyway, Len May, Len May DNA on all the different uh, platforms and, and do DNA.com. So why don't you tell me a little bit about uh, talk a little bit about your book, you know, Making Cannabis Personal. Yep. Talk to me. What's, what's the book about? I know so, it's part of your individual journey. I've read through. You know, uh, probably some chapters already, and I'm going to finish it. But um, nicely done. I will tell anybody who's listening right now, book is extremely entertaining and very, 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 very um, uh, filled with lots of good information. So you should definitely go pick up a copy. Uh, thank you, Mattel. Where can I get it? 
Uh, they can get on Amazon or anywhere that they buy books. Uh, I mean, my, my business partner said, I want a book where I can read from LAX to, uh, to JFK on a flight. So it's right. short, it's an easy read. There's pictures in there. And as you said, it's my personal journey, what I described. And then it's other journeys of other people that had these experiences that may have had an adverse event, some depression, some other uh, conditions. And then by using the test, they were able to find the right cannabinoid interpreting profile that works best for them. Cool, cool, cool. And and um, if you were to go out and get a copy of it, I think, like you just said, this is a quick read. Um, you know, I jumped through six, six, seven chapters in 15, 20 minutes. So um, <laughs> I'm going to finish it probably here in the next day or so. I'm going to fly tomorrow. So I'm going to finish it tomorrow um, so that I can share this with others. If Because uh, I have some people that I think need to to take a look at this book just to kind of get themselves past their anxiety of even trying to use it. Um, if you had to think about where the industry is going to go in the next couple of years, what, what's your crystal ball? I believe it's going to, there's going to be two, two paths. So there's going to be a true medicinal path. And the reason why I feel that because there's too much money was spent on GW pharmaceuticals by jazz pharmaceuticals. You, when you're spending seven point something billion dollars, you see that there's a path and you, you brought this up before about, you know, having pharmaceuticals uh, create these synthetics, but if they're able to hone in on specific molecules and see what is the, how can this ratio actually work for this condition? Now we'll have real medicine. We have to work. I, would prefer, I prefer that they don't hone in and try to synthesize <laughs> a molecule. They hone in and try to extract the molecule. From the plant. A hundred percent. There's no reason why we have to synthesize anything. And I will tell you that at the end of the day, 20 years from now, we're going to figure out that from a spectrographic standpoint, that the, the synthesized molecule won't attach. It doesn't attach the right way or it doesn't attach exactly the way the body meant it to attach. And well, so you're, you're hundred percent right. And, and there's a, there's a, a scientist, Dr. David Meary, they call him Deddy in Israel. And he, and if anybody wants to go out and see, he's got a YouTube video where he has three sets of Petri dishes with three different types of cancers. And he shows you how he takes the cannabinoid and terpene ratio into the Petri dish. Some of them have apoptosis, which they actually kill the cell. Some of them don't. So it's a specific experience. And when you look at a, at a spectrometer mass spec, as you were mentioning, you can see that there's other cannabinoids in there or other things that we don't know what they are. So you're 100% correct that correct. the whole we plant need, extract is the way to do it. And we need to get off this idea that, you know, like Big Pharma likes to take a plant and try to synthesize it and make it into something fake. And, you know, our endogenous endocannabinoid system was built billion years ago. And, yeah. you know, if it was built a billion years ago, it recognizes things from nature, not things that are fake. And so yeah, we, I think the more, hey, we can't replace that. And, and no. I'm hoping that we stay on that track. And, you know, that's the only reason why I think that this industry needs to pharmaceuticalize a little bit, if yeah. that's a real word, is use the practices of the pharmaceutical industry, but don't follow the way they do in practice. Because we don't have to fake it. We can take the real plant, extract from the real plant, separate those components, and put them back together again. Yeah, 100% right. And you mentioned before Marinol. We already know that that doesn't work, and it's work. not going to work. So, so that's one path. The second path that I feel is going to be a nutraceutical path. This is a, my gut feel because you have to have consistency in products. 
and whether Absolutely. you have flower and these strained names, these cultivar names, they don't mean anything. It doesn't even matter what the name is. It's about the profile and getting Absolutely. consistent. So these, when I go into my dispensary or I go into my CVS, I want to buy a supplement and I want it to be consistent. So we as an industry have to be more consistent and forget that it's a higher THC, as you mentioned, it has to be specific to these formulations. And I'm going to be able to get that no matter where I get the same one. So that's and the industry has got to stop playing around with trying to create things that aren't naturally occurring. You know, THCO, not naturally occurring. <laughs> THC8. You know, Delta 8. Delta 8. <laughs> You know, yeah. what I mean? uh, te- all of these things, this has really kind of gotten out of hand yeah. and the industry is doing itself a disservice because the more and more people that have bad experiences with those are going to put the DAA back down on our heads and give people an excuse to say, well, that's the reason why we don't trust this industry. Um, and, you know, but I, I would say, better say, though, I'm hoping that we get off of this stick of recreation medical and why. Because I'm going to tell you, I think that anybody who gravitates to cannabis over any other euphoria-causing agent is gravitating towards it for a medical reason anyway, even if they won't admit it. That person who wants to come home and relax, has anxiety, they are looking at a medical reason to use cannabis. The person who wants to go sleep better, that's a medical reason. That person who just wants to, I want to just be able to feel good and chill. Well, what they're saying is that they got anxiety and stuff that's keeping them all tight and wrapped up. They want to release that. That's a medical reason, even if they won't admit it. So what we should be doing is making sure that we provide cannabis across the board at a standard medical grade for everyone. Absolutely agreed 100%. That is my mission. This recreational uh, doesn't make any sense. Adult use is fine. You're over 21. You can use that product for anything that you want. And it's every it's a drug. Cannabis is a drug and use it for therapeutic purposes. Uh, If somebody chooses a pill or chooses a drink, that's up to them. But if they choose cannabis for the same condition that you just mentioned, for me, that's a therapeutic use. You want to, at the end of the day, uh, instead of a glass of wine, you want to consume some cannabis. That's your choice, and that, that is a therapeutic reason. I completely agree. And that, and that should be your choice. No one stands about You know, I, 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 before I, I uh, stop, I just want to maybe have you do me a favor and just, just talk a little bit about the level of research that really is being done around the world right now when it comes to cannabis. Because so often you hear from all these politicians and all these pundits and dumbasses who say, well, you know, the second that they – use a real research and, and can quantify some of the effects. I, I feel like recently I was listening to a stupid report on one of the cable channels last week when they were trying to put Biden down for um, uh, uh, making the statements that he made. Yeah. I, I felt like reaching into the TV screen and smacking people right upside the head <laughs> because it's like, I, I don't know how much more research you need. 37,000 peer-reviewed studies published in the last 10 years. That's more information published on a single drug than any other drug manufactured in the last 10 years. That's more than has been published on opioids. That's more than has been published on alcohol. That's more than has been published on aspirin. The the biggest challenge is that, first of all, you said in the beginning about the Mississippi cannabis. So you were forced to use cannabis that really doesn't exist in the real world to do some of the research. So now the research is opening up and around the world, you're actually using uh, different cannabinoid and terpene profiles that are more realistic. The, I guess the biggest challenge is, is the definition of research, right? So if you're doing a clinical trial, now you're under the guidance of 
the DEA and the DOJ and everything else that comes with that. If you're doing an observational study, I there's so much research available, anecdotal research and real research that doesn't use the cannabinoids that are provided, you know, through uh, through Mississippi. So the research is going on around the world is incredible. We've seen some fantastic results. It's just been slow coming. The reason why is because we have this lane that we have to choose for uh, the FDA uh, to approve you know, real clinical trials. And there are a bunch that are going on in, the, in research now. One of the challenges is you can see this with the psychedelic industry. The psychedelic industry is accelerating so much quicker on research. And the reason why is you're looking at one single molecule. You know, you're looking at psilocybin. Okay, so you have psilocin. And the amount of psilocin is the only difference. When you're looking at cannabis, according to some studies, you said 160 or so, there's over 400 different constituents in the plant. So it's really difficult to identify what works with what. But now the research has become much more prevalent to use different cannabinoids and different terpene profiles. We're seeing that accelerate a lot more. And the scientific community is now collaborating. You know, before we were siloed, the, the U.S. community is doing their research. Then you're doing research in Israel. You're doing research in Canada. Now we're sharing that research and collaborating on all that stuff. So the next few years, we'll see a tremendous amount of clinical studies come out on a, a lot of these conditions. Absolutely, and a lot more countries. I mean, we're, we're well over now. I think we're over 50 countries have pulled out of that UN treaty of 61 or 62 that uh, uh, didn't allow for the uh, exportation and importation of uh, hemp and cannabis products. And now there are countries all over the world that are really going to start leading the way. I mean, even more so than us here in the United States, even though we've, we've still got our foot on the pedal, I got to tell you, I think they're doing a lot of research in, in uh, Chile. They're doing a lot of research in Colombia. They're doing a lot of more yeah. research in Israel, Isle of Man, Spain, you know, Germany. It's now uh, cats out the bag. It's not going to go back in. Well, I got to say thank you so much, sir, for being a part of the show today. And I'd love to have you back at some point in time. If ever you want to come back and talk a little bit more, share some more stories out of the book. And I'm going to make sure people understand the book is called Making Cannabis Personal. Um, so you can go out and get a copy. And one more time, let people know where they can go to find you, sir. Yeah, it's, uh, the website is endo, E-N-D-O-D-N-A.com. My name is Len May, L-E-N-M-A-Y, and it's Len May on all the social. I think Twitter is Len May DNA. So I'm, I'm the science DNA guy. Excellent. Thank you so much. Darren. Thank you. I so Thank appreciate you. it. Absolutely. Thanks for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.